Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 118 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Anthony. And we are tired. And it's been a couple of weeks of being tired. Yeah. I feel like. I am. This week at work has just been like one uppercut to the chin after the other. (laughs) You know? I know how those weeks can go. Like you feel like you've worked so hard all week and then you get to like... You're almost at the end of the week, and the guy you've been working so hard for basically questions everything you've done ever. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yeah. That's your favorite feeling in the whole world. Makes me feel real. Anyway, it's fine. Um, no, work is... I mean, it's just work, man. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, it's not going to matter. Yep. It's been you know? one of those for us, too. It's been uh we've uh we've we've made some changes um to our kind of the way that we're doing business and it's pretty fundamental change and uh I'm the one who instigated the change and so now I'm getting to live with the repercussions of my instigation um good and bad uh some of it's good some of it's you know obviously anytime you rock the boat somebody's going to get upset about it so you rock the boat? It is never me. I don't. I do not believe in rocking boats unless you're going to flip the boats. Possibly. I mean, so. as long as I've known you, you've been a boat rocker. I do like rocking boats, so it's fun. I mean, I don't know if that if that says anything <laughs> about you or the situations you find yourself in. I'm getting. Yeah, dude, I mean, I'm starting to get there. I'm. I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, if someone doesn't flip this boat, I'm. I'm going to. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. It's. It's a. It's a different mindset that I. That I. I guess I carry. I don't know if it's my. If it's a flaw or something good. It's just a characteristic. I, <laughs> yeah, I was say I don't know which what kind of characteristic it is, but, um, I have a tendency to. Uh, run my mouth a little bit too much sometimes, and it sometimes gets me in trouble. Sometimes it helps, but it gets me in trouble a lot too. So, you know. But the one thing you can always count on for me is I'm gonna be honest with you. You may not like it, but I'm at least gonna be honest with you. Yeah, I, I try to think that like people don't necessarily have flaws per se; they just have characteristics, and that's uh-huh. how they are made and how they are. And mm-hmm. there are obviously things that people can work on, you know, yeah. if your characteristic is typically a negative, mm-hmm. typically has a negative outcome, then maybe that's something you can work on. But I don't necessarily think people just have flaws. Yeah. 
That's uh, you, I think it's Jim Collins who talks about you know basically everybody has their their mindset mm-hmm. or whatever, and he talks about as business leaders like a business leader's job is to find the right fit for that person's mindset. Mm-hmm. And he says like you know it's like putting them in the right seat on the bus or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the right seat on the bus is it's and then if you're uh, if they don't, if there's not a seat for them on the bus, they need to get on a different bus. Yeah. So they may be on the wrong bus altogether. Yeah. You never know. And I think that's where a lot of times people get in trouble is that they're sitting in seats that weren't meant for them. Yeah. Then they may be trying really hard to do the work from that seat, but mm-hmm. they was never meant to be. Or they might be trying to get off the bus, but somebody won't let them. <laughs> I feel you like you know. and I have had this conversation before, though. <laughs> I think we have because we've talked about the the book "Good to Great." Mm-hmm. Um, that's where that's where I get it from. The book "Good to Great" by Jim Collins. Um, that's a great hashtag analogy. Plug, hashtag sponsor us. Hashtag. <laughs> Would he though? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think he cares what two idiots think. <laughs> but anyway, other than that, man, how's uh, how's life treating you? Up there in the mountains of Georgia. They're not quite in the mountains, where I can see the mountains when I drive to work. Um, no, I mean you are closer than the mountains than I am. We're good, man. It's just <laughs> you know this week is start is the uh, what is it second full spring or whatever. Like it's like in the seventies yeah. this week, and it feels glorious oh, yeah. outside. I wore shorts yes. today. Um, oh man. I think one day in the next week or so, it's supposed to be in the lower eighties, which will be really nice. But then next God weekend bless. is also the highs also supposed to be in like the fifties. So Ugh. <laughs> we're doing that again. It, yeah, um, spring, winter, spring, winter. Yeah, no, but we're okay, man. Just uh, just tired. Like like I said, mm-hmm. work work's just been a bore this week. Not bore like yeah. boring, just like a bore to deal with. Um, yeah, just I'm excited to sit down and. Drink some beer and talk about Philippians. Really, is that's what I'm excited to do tonight. Um, <laughs> you, you're you're in the boat I was in last week. I mm-hmm. think where you're just like I want to be done with everything and I want to sit down and have a beer and talk about the Bible, and that's where we find ourselves. That's why this podcast was started. <laughs> Pretty much. Sometimes you just want to sit down and drink a beer and talk about the Bible. Yep. So, but how about so, you, man? How are things? Oh man, we uh we have been busy. Um, you know we are we're also getting into spring slash you know it's it's jacket weather in the morning and then it's shorts weather by noontime and then you know by the time you get off of work you're like are we going to the beach today because I am sweating mm-hmm. and uh just typical South Alabama weather but the kids the kids have been loving it man they've been going outside and I love it too this one thing I don't like about winter is nobody wants to go outside and so it's like we all just sit inside and when when you're inside there's only so much you can do before you're like fine just turn on the TV or go get your iPad right. <laughs> leave me alone mm-hmm. <laughs> no I get that so I feel that in my soul and yeah I like the outside because I can. The kids can go outside and I can go do some things, and I don't have to. That you know, they're not constantly coming up and dad, 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 and I'm like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> no, I I totally get that, man. H- having a so. having a place to go outside and let your kids just run around for a little while, even if for only like ten minutes, that's like the most glorious ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, oh, what do you want to do? You just want to run around? Okay, I'm gonna sit right here and watch. Well, 
and by watch I mean listen while I'm <laughs> scrolling on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I'll grab shoot. I'll I'll let the kids go outside and I will. I'll grab a book and just sit on the back porch mm-hmm. and light up a pipe. And if nobody is yelling, then I'm happy. I don't care what they're doing. You know. Thirty minutes later, they come back and they're covered in mud. And I'm like, "What are y'all doing?" They're like, "Oh, we were digging in the mud." And I was like, "Are you fighting?" No. All right, cool. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll hose you off before you come in because your mom will kill me if I let you in the house. Basically. So, mm. well, man, we got a couple of beers. Let's do it. And we're going to drink them. What are you going to drink tonight? So tonight, I am going to drink a, from a new brewery to the podcast. I have from the Epic Brewing Company based in, I believe I saw there, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, this is, says it was brewed and packaged in Denver, Colorado, so I don't know what I'm talking about, apparently. Uh, <laughs> the website has Salt Lake City on the on the uh at the bottom of the page there, so that's where that came oh, from. Oh, yeah. But this was brewed in Denver. Um, I have the Tart and Juicy Sour IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, 5.1% Which- ABV. Um, and that's really all that I have on the can here. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much... I mean, it's, it's, it's an IPA, and it's a sour slash tart kind of thing. Um, and it's a, it's another, it's the first beer from my second subscription Oh yeah, that I got from, for Christmas for my wife. So, um, that came in, so last week we recorded on Tuesday, this came in on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I, I just missed it for last week, but we got it this week. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, tart and juicy sour IPA. Well, there you go. Uh, I am going to have the interrogation uh, milk coffee milk stout, and this is worked. In, I guess this is collaboration between uh, Scofflaw Brewing and Brash Coffee Roasters uh, because it says, "Yeah, that's what it says on the website." It says this right here. It says, our cold weather seasonal favorite, we steep our milk stout with coffee in the bright tank. I don't know what a bright tank is. Before packaging packaging it for a cold brew-like experience. Hmm. For this edition, we've partnered with Brash Coffee. And then that's pretty much all it has. So you had the coffee stout a couple of weeks ago. And I, I this has been in my refrigerator for like two months now i forgot about it and i was like oh no what am i gonna drink and i was like oh wait i still have one left so i went and got it how did you have um, something in your fridge that you hadn't even tried yet uh because it was so it was in my outside fridge mm. where i and i had forgotten about it <laughs> so i went out there and i was like dude i've got beer in there i forgot about that yep i get it <laughs> i have so in my house my beer fridge is upstairs in the room over the garage Mm-hmm. Um, which is where my office is, and uh, I just don't trek up here much to get beer. So I've got, I've still got like Moon Pie Porter and or Moon Pie Stout. <laughs> um, I've got some, I got some stuff in there I've had for a while. I, I about like once every three months or so, just clean it out, mm-hmm. and pour out stuff I haven't, I'm not going to drink or haven't drank or whatever. But uh, there you go. Yep. Well. There's only one way to find out how good they are, and that's to crack them open and drink them. And since they're sitting here getting not cold anymore, we should probably get to the cracking and the drinking. We should. 
Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one, crack. All right, so that's like a sour slash IPA smell. So remember you said a couple of weeks ago yours like your milk stout or whatever it was smelled like coffee? Like a coffee shop, yeah. Like a coffee shop. This one does not smell like a coffee shop to me. Oh, that's sad. So mine's got an interesting like does it look like two tone to you a little bit? Yeah, it looks like the middle of it's pink. Yeah. Like a sour, but then it's also got like the the traditional IPA color. Yeah. It has a IPA smell, that's for sure. What I was going to say is um the reason that my beer fridge is in the fridge my beer is in the fridge upstairs is because if it was in the f- main fridge downstairs, um we wouldn't have room for food. <laughs> so in my food is kind of important. My most pregnant days. wife isn't going to trek upstairs to get food out of our beer fridge. So yeah, I don't think I would expect her to do that either. So that would that would be bad news for you. So what does your smell like if it doesn't smell like a coffee shop? It, I don't know. It's I mean it honestly it smells just like a regular, like a just a chocolatey stout milk stout is what it smells like. Hmm. It doesn't really smell any. Now all right the can has definitely like a coffee note to it. Yeah. Like it smells like grinds, but it didn't smell like that until after I poured it out. So maybe it's like an yeah. aftertaste. See, the one I had a couple of weeks ago, um it smelled like coffee as soon as you opened it. Like it smelled like a coffee shop. It smelled like oh, yeah. fresh ground coffee or, you know, whatever. Um but that one not smelling like that doesn't give me high hopes. No, we're going to find out. And you like see coffee, what it don't is. you? I do. I drink, I mean, I drink a half pot of coffee every morning. Um, and I like my coffee black. Like I just drink, mm-hmm. I put a little bit of sugar in it and that's it. Yeah. And, um, uh, I'm like you, I don't like Folgers and Maxwell house. What did, how did you work? You said, I don't like old man coffee and I don't like cheap coffee. Mm-hmm. I think is how you said that. So I'm, I'm basically in the same boat. My, my wife is an official coffee snob. And so I just let her pick out the coffee and I drink whatever she buys. I'm not like super picky. See, our coffee is predetermined by what's on sale. Because <laughs> there's always Could, coffee on sale. That's true, every, there is. Every single week, there's a new coffee on sale at Publix, usually. But Yeah. I go I go get mine from Sam's because they have the giant grinder. Mm-hmm. And I just pour the whole bag of beans into the giant grinder and grind it all up there at the Sam's Club and then come home and drink coffee. My wife doesn't know how to make coffee in like the coffee pot. Like we have a Keurig, what? we have a Keurig that's like a dual like coffee pot, and then the single the pods that you use. Yeah, and if we're out of pods, I have to make the coffee because she doesn't know how. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh man, we should drink a couple of beers because I feel like they're we've just sitting here tempting it, us. Maybe. Yes, w- this week we have definitely earned. I think a so. couple of beers. So, so. bottoms up. Cheers. Okay, okay. I'm interested in this sour IPA thing that you've got. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Michael has gone full lizard on me. (laughs) I had a really weird aftertaste. That's amazing. Do you want to go ahead and go? I say I'm going to go because mine mine is actually, um, it tastes better than it smells. Um, 
I can definitely get coffee out of the taste of it. Um, good coffee too. Like, um, uh, I don't know what Brash Coffee Roasters is, but but uh, kudos to you guys because that's uh that's pretty good. It tastes like a stout with coffee, and I mean, it, it literally. They said they were going for their cold brew. Mm-hmm. I think, and like, I, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is this is this is basically a cold brew? Yeah. Um. So it's good. Um. If you like stouts, if you like coffee milk stouts, you're probably gonna like it. Um. It's not five Luthers to me because there's nothing like, wow, this is amazing. Um. But it is good. It's got good flavor. The aftertaste. Now that I've had a couple of sips and the and washed down, I get more chocolatey. Uh, flavor out of it, so uh, you know that's that's the stout coming through. But you get the coffee at the beginning, you get the nice, smooth, easy finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll go all the way to four point five Luthers on this. I'll give it four and a half. Wow, not quite a five, um, but it is really good. I'm I'm not upset that I have more of these. I kind of am, I am a little upset at myself that I've waited so long to drink them. <laughs> They've well, been sitting in my you. fridge for like two months. I know, right? Maybe it's because it's aged. Maybe it aged in my in my fridge like a fine wine, you know. It ain't <laughs> I, been in there I don't that beer. long. <laughs> <laughs> but this is really good. Um, this would be a great dessert beer, or a like pipe on the back porch on a moderately warm spring day beer is where it would be for me. So you said what four and a half Luthers? Yeah, four and a half Luthers. Okay. On this this guy. Interrogation coffee milk stout from Scofflaw Brewing. Good work on that thing. Now I want to hear about the sour IPA. So the initial flavor of it is like traditional sour. Like mm-hmm. very tart. Um, not sweet at all. Like all the other sours we've had, pretty much. Yeah. But then it transitions into, like, you get a hint of IPA. Like, you get, like... Like a, a bitterness like of you IPA? Get, you get kind of, like, a bitterness of the IPA. And then the longer the longer you hold the sip, the stronger that IPA flavor gets. Okay. And that was the aftertaste of that initial sip that I was, like, cat-tonguing myself. <laughs> like, what is going on? I, like, if you've ever seen a cat try to lick the bottom of its chin... That's what I feel like I was trying yes. to do. Um, I mean, the flavor's not bad. It's it's the flavor's actually very very good. Um, that transition from sour to IPA is a little weird to me. Yeah, um, I could see that being weird. I mean, it's, and it's not it's not bad. It's just very different. Um, yeah, and when the initial hit is sour. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of transitions into something that you're not as much of a... Like, I love sours and tarts and stuff like that. And then IPAs, I'm like, eh. I could take them or leave them. Yeah. And more often leave them than not. Mostly more often like leave if them. Like, it, if it had transitioned... <laughs> if it had started as an IPA and then transitioned into a tart, I'd be more excited because the ending's better than the beginning. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but in this situation, it's not. So, um but the sour part of it is so good. Mhm. I think I'm going to have to give this I think I'm going to give it four Luthers this week. Four Luthers. Yeah. Um uh, 
that was kind of my initial my initial thought when I first had it, and um, I think now that I've kind of talked it out, that's where I'm going to land on this. <laughs> so uh, the tart, the tart and juicy sour from Epic, getting four out of five Luthers, and the interrogation coffee milk stout from Scofflaw Brewing, getting four and a half out of five Luthers. It's good. I'm probably going to have another one tonight because most of this one is down already. So, hmm. I went into a package store this week um, looking for something specific that I did not get in my beer drop. Um, and Jerks. they still had uh, the Hershey Porter. Really? In the fridge. Yep. I have not seen that down here in probably two months. It's at the store right by the house here. Nice. I didn't get it. That wasn't what I was getting. <laughs> you didn't buy any? Because you still have some left in your fridge from I actually don't. Christmas. I think I only got... Um, I may have only bought one six-pack this year. I definitely found multiple. I bought at least two, I think three 12-packs. This year, it, over the course. This year, to me, it wasn't as good. That's a sad day for you because it was as good for me. Well... I still five Luther did. Maybe my taste buds are changing. They could be. That's entirely possible. Well, there's you a couple of beers. The interrogation coffee milk stout coming in at four and a half. It's good. And the tart and juicy IPA coming in at four Luthers. Michael was confused at first, but now he likes it. So I like we're going to take I a like quick it from break. the beginning, but yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Caught you off guard. Yes, very much so. There you go. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back to talk about the end of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to finish Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Do you realize how fast we're moving through this now? We are very ambitious, I think. <laughs> but our notes are very long tonight, so we're going to see how, we're going to see how this goes. But uh, we will take a break, and we will be back right after this. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are going to dive in and we're going to finish. We're going to do it. I'm naming it and claiming it. Joe Osteen, help us. Stephen Furtick, help us. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I got. Did you Did you see the thing I, I sent you today? Um, yes. If you get a link, <laughs> if you, if you titled, a link to it. If you receive a Steve link <laughs> titled Stephen Furtick Sermon, don't click on it. It's a link to a Stephen Furtick Sermon. <laughs> Oh, those are great. We we uh poor guy. We appreciate you, Stephen Furtick. You're you're just he could beat us. The up. roids have gotten to your head, man. I'm sorry. He could beat us up, so I don't want to say anything too bad about it. Like, he can't something, beat us up. Something tells me they've got the resources to be able to hunt down literally anyone they want. They probably do. They're probably tied in with Russia somehow. Sorry, that yeah. was, that might have been over the line. <laughs> might have been a little apropos there. Sorry. I'm going to let that slide. Why don't you read Philippians 3, 12 through 21, and we'll get to rolling into our notes here, because we've, got, we've yes. got some things to discuss. 
we do have a lot of things to discuss tonight. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to change it up uh, on you guys tonight. I'm going to read uh, from the CSB tonight, because I actually appreciated the CSB translation a little bit better than the ESV on, on this passage. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. This is what the Word of God says. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize, prom the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should, we should live up to whatever truth... Did I read that right? We should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say it again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul closes out, and he's actually he's going to kind of finish it out next week. We're going to pick up in, in chapter 4, verse 1. He's going to close out this argument, but he's, gonna, he's winding down kind of a second argument, yeah? Yeah. So as he winds this thing down, He's going to give us, he's kind of given us some closing thoughts on this idea of imitation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And he's really, um, I mean, he's really kind of differentiating the, the processes of sanctification mm -hmm. with glorification and what, you know, yeah. our sanctification ultimately results in our glorification, but it's not something we're going to experience this side of eternity. Right. Um, my, uh, so I know you read the Christian standard. The Holman Christian, verse 12, says that uh, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature. And I think your version said uh, perfect. Yeah. And so like th that, the word picture in the Holman Christian standard of that fully mature, that really points to the, uh, the parallels Paul is using here or making here between mm -hmm. our walk with Jesus and – how we mature and how we grow mm -hmm. from being children to being adults. Oh yeah, yeah. It's that yeah, it's, it's that metaphor that he's using here. Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, if you if you think about it, you know, you you go to the process. You you don't expect certain things out of children, and then as they begin to grow and mature, you teach them. Mm -hmm. You start to expect different things. And, you know, I can say this because I have an 11-year-old. <clears throat> you're old. <laughs> I know. Don't remind me. Um, 
So I have an. Uh, she's not eleven yet. She will be soon. But I have an eleven-year-old. She's and, ten, going on sixteen. Oh no, she's ten, going on thirty-five. She thinks she's thirty-five, but she, you know, we've we've begun to have the talks of, you know, I'm going to expect more out of you, and when you don't live up to those expectations, there's going to be consequences, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that's part of that maturity process. Yeah, and so. You know, something about that that parallel is that, you know, when we read this text, it really should be convicting to us as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's not condemning, and, and I think there's a—you have to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. Um, Romans 8.1 clearly says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, so we're not condemned. We're not— you know, we're not kicked to eternity in hell, mm-hmm. but we are convicted to live a different type of life than we were before. Yeah. You know, and that's what maturity does. Maturity takes conviction and mistakes and it and it turns it into something that helps us improve. Yeah, it it really uses conviction as like a springboard to live better, be better followers of Jesus. Uh, commit to not mm-hmm. sin or whatever, however you want to call it. Um, I have a hard time like understanding the um, concept of condemnation because mm-hmm. it's like it's this it's this big spiritual word that I don't feel like is very well defined in churches very much. So if yeah. like like if you were to explain to somebody like here's what condemnation is. How would okay. you describe it? So, um, I would, you know, I, I like to use metaphors, analogies that are prison related, um, because they seem to work well for the gospel, especially especially when you're talking about the language of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, when you talk about condemnation, you're talking about the sentence that somebody has to take on for their sin. Okay, you're condemned. So when when a all right ex person guy commits crime he murders a person goes to trial is found guilty his sentencing is the condemnation process and so whatever the judge hands out his sentence he has to spend 25 years in prison no parole that is his condemnation okay, okay? now parallel that to the gospel and our condemnation in in Christ. And so what you have is, think back to John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through the world, or through him, the world might be saved. Mm -hmm. So what you have here is the world is already condemned because of the sin of Adam. We're living in a broken and and creation is broken because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and so we're living under condemnation. And what Christ did is he came and he paid the penalty for that condemnation, which was death on a cross. That penalty is paid. Now we no longer are in condemnation, Romans chapter 8. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're not living in that condemnation anymore because you were in that condemnation, according to John 3, mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. But when you're in Christ, you're made a new creation, so you're not under that condemnation anymore. Condemnation is the the penalty for your sin. Okay. All right? And just like a sentence for somebody who murders somebody. You know, it's it's the it's what you have to serve out. And so would you say that Romans eight one is really where we get the idea in theology and doctrine of once saved, always saved? Um, I would say so. And like I if, think the, if there's there, people like if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, like once you're in Christ, you cannot be out of Christ. <clears throat> That's the way I would argue it because I have a I have an understanding of the salvation relationship as one of covenant. Mm-hmm. And think about the covenant relationships defined in Genesis 15 um talking about the Abrahamic covenant specifically. You know, you have God walks through the covenant. Mm-hmm. The the you know the it splits the animals and all and and we can dive into that later. But the the whole point there is that Abraham doesn't actually walk through the covenant stuff. God takes God um, God takes on both sides of that part of the covenant. God takes God's, on both sides, yeah. and and so you think about so God says this is in order to be restored to me. This is the price of the covenant, and because you can't live up to this standard, I'm going to take on both. So I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. In Jesus, on a cross, God in human form goes through the covenant process and says, "I'm going to do the. I'm going to commit the penalty, or I'm going to accept the penalty. I'm going to take the justice. You know, all of it, the wrath, everything, and that paves the way for us to be in covenant relationship as believers in Christ. Mm. And so, because Christ and God, the same, uh basically went through the covenant themselves. Yeah. There's nothing that we can do to get out of that covenant once we're in that covenant. Right. And I view salvation as a covenant relationship. So that's why I would say you can't lose your salvation. There's nothing you can do. Now, if we want to start talking about the fruits of it and and all that and if you're saved and all that, you know, I think there's a whole lot of hairy mess in there that that people could say Man, that person had a lot of fruit, but at the end of the day, they did not profess Christ or whatever reason yeah. it was. And and so, you know, it's it's really a, you have to judge the book by its cover, but you don't actually know what's in the book. Only God knows what's in the book, yeah. and therefore it's up to God to decide. Yeah. The only thing we have, the only thing we're ever going to know to judge the book by is the cover. Like, we're never That's gonna, right. We're never going to get to actually read the pages. Exactly. Because we can't see another person's heart. So. Yeah. But, hmm. yeah, so so you have, there's no condemnation in Christ, and if you tie that back to, remember, tie that back to chapter 1 where we talked about um, 1 verse 6, that the work that God begins, he will complete. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, I would add that as another checkbox in the, you know, once saved, always saved thing, but what this process does, this sanctification process is going to do, is going to produce five different things. And this is what we're going to, we're going to work our way through this tonight, and and a lot of it is going to kind of repeat, but 
here's the the highlights of the five things we're going to talk about. This is what salvation will produce in the Christian. It will produce somebody who is staying humble. Mm -hmm. It will produce somebody who is pursuing Christ. It will produce somebody who is focused on the gospel. Remember, we've been hitting on that just about every week. Um, It will produce somebody who is mature and they choose cross-minded examples. So maturity is going to spur people on to imitating, and we're going to talk about imitation later, uh, imitating those cross-minded people not necessarily agreeing. There's a difference between between agreeing uh, and and imitating. But the the last thing it's going to do is that it will it will allow us to remember that our true citizenship is in heaven and not on this earth. Yeah. Um, so let's let's walk through all five of these things and let's start with staying humble. Let's do it. So uh, verses twelve and thirteen, Paul um, is showing us is is I really kind of recapping back from the discussion we had last week about his pedigree, his background. Um, if anybody had the right to beat their chest and say, look how, you know, look at my background, look where I came from. Um, yeah. look at all the things that I've done in, you know, in the name of the old Testament law, that was mm-hmm. Paul. Right. Um, yeah. but also remember he counted that as BS basically. He, he counted it as, as dung, is is how Anthony put it last week. Um, I kind of wish you'd put it the other way, but um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. No, but really, but you know, ha- having all you know, checking all the right boxes doesn't matter at all. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and Paul knows this. Paul Paul experienced what it was like to be able to check all the boxes and say look at all the things I've done. And then he has a radical encounter with Jesus and mm-hmm. realize that all of that is worthless. It's sewage. It's, yeah, it's garbage. It's filth and rags and not worth even mentioning like, like every, yeah. every checkbox you could possibly think of doesn't even compare to the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about being, perfect i think perf- mm-hmm. i think perfection as as we as humans it's impossible to attain that right i mean jesus is the only one who was ever perfect right um but but we should always be striving to grow and striving to be better followers of jesus more mature followers of jesus mm-hmm. um and being willing to set our set ourselves aside and say what i want versus what Jesus calls me to be, I'm going to pursue what Jesus calls me to be, regardless of what my flesh says. Right. Right. And, you know, it's it's interesting because when you have that mentality, when you have the idea or the mindset that says, I'm going to strive on a daily basis to be all that I'm commanded to be through Scripture, which is what Christ has called me to be, you end up with this this humble mindset of saying, I'm not here. I'm not finished. Mm-hmm. And and I love there was a quote in the in the commentary that we used that says, mature people humbly acknowledge that they haven't arrived. Yeah. And, you know, we've all met that person that like they they just there's something about them that they they think they're the answer to everybody else's problems, questions. Yeah. You know, they're the solution. Um when when I was a kid and Michael was not even born yet, we used to say you're all that in a bag of chips. That's what you know. That's what people think. Yeah. 
Um, and a truly mature, humble person says, "Man, I'm, 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 I don't have it right." Yeah, you know, they take ownership of their of their mistakes, and they say, "I don't get it right every time, but I'm going to try my best." to do it as best as I possibly can. And I'm going to learn from every experience that, that God allows me to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is a learning experience, good and bad. Yeah. The, the non church world example I can think of for like a mature, like a mature person acknowledging that they haven't arrived yet is like Tom Brady. Yeah. Like here's a guy who has, he had six rings, seven rings, Super Bowl championship rings, not just like random rings mm-hmm. he found on the street, but like he he had won the pinnacle of pro football and kept coming back and wanting to be better and continue yeah. to perform at a high level and he was always perfecting his game. Um, it's almost like he was like, "What I've done is still not good enough." Yeah, and, and any and any like regular person will look at him and be like, "Tom, you could never play football again." and no one would say anything to you because of all you've accomplished. Yeah. But he was still he was still coming back, choosing to come back and continue to play um, until like a month ago or whatever. But um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Um, and, and I think Paul is pointing out here that the gospel should be humbling to us because yeah. she would we should always be rec- we should recognize the amount of grace that's been given to us. Yeah, um, you know the grace is deeper than the deepest ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, higher than the highest mountain, and and we when we realize the amount of grace we we've received, that really should another you know another characteristic of a characteristic of a humble person is that you're a gracious person and you you extend grace to others, yeah, um, even when they don't deserve it necessarily. Well, I mean that that's like the very definition of grace is mm-hmm. you know it's it's unmerited favor that you don't deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, mercy and grace are very similar, but it, at the end of the day, grace is something that that you didn't deserve. You don't earn it. You can't do anything for it, but it it's still given to you. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that's such a such a wise way to talk about salvation because we have to remember, and Paul even says it here. That salvation is not of us. It's nothing that we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, yet God still gives it to us. Yeah, you know He extends it to to His creation. And just picking up here, the the end of twelve, Paul says, um, "I take hold of it. I took take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it." You know, Paul recognizes that. In this situation, mm-hmm. his salvation is in is in God. He couldn't do anything for it. He couldn't take a hold of it. He couldn't, you know. It's it's, it's a, not like he could take. He could accept it. You know, yeah, it, it took a hold of him, and it was yeah. it was an unmistakable hold, and it was something he couldn't not he could he couldn't possibly ignore it. He couldn't right. possibly ignore the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the love of Jesus that saved him from the need to perform or the need to check off the boxes or the need to, to be the man he was before he met Jesus. Yeah. And if we remember that God begins the work, go back to one six, 
what he begins, he's going to finish. But in his finishing process, he graciously includes us. And, mm. you know, this is where we talk about the difference between uh, two, two big words here, monergism and synergism. Um, monergism refers to a work. It's mono. It's a work alone. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, something is monergistic, it's done alone. Versus synergistic, think of the word synergy. You know, you have multiple things coming together to, to form this thing. And so, whereas our justification is monergistic, it's all done of God, our sanctification is synergistic. God graciously brings us into this process of forming us and making us. And go back to Jeremiah chapter, I think it's 18, uh, where he talks about the potter, you know, and, and how the potter molds clay. Um, you know, that that's the the lump doesn't get on the wheel with any help. The the potter has to put the lump on the wheel it by himself. Yeah. But then what happens when the wheel starts turning is the the potter begins to mold it and and the the clay kind of has to work with the potter at that point. And so, you know, think of salvation as you're put on the wheel and you're this giant lump of clay and then the potter takes you and molds you and makes you into something, but you have to kind of work with the potter in that process. And so that's the difference between monergism and synergism. And that's why I would contend that salvation justification is monergistic, but sanctification is a synergistic process where God continues to work through us and teach us and mold us Mm -hmm. into what he wants us to be into the pot. He wants us to be. Yeah. If, we were not meant to be on this earth after our salvation, God would immediately take us home. Yeah. And so if if you've been saved, if you've been justified, I want to make sure I get that right. If you've, if you've mm-hmm. been justified, <laughs> um, then your sanctification process is still going on, and there is a... You have to be humble enough to say, I have a part of this, and I need to yeah. do – not to check boxes. We're, we're still talking mm-hmm. about checking boxes, right? You're, you're not doing it to check the boxes, but it's so that you are a part of the process, an active part of the process and not a passive part. Mm-hmm. That's right. And being a part of that process should lead you to humility. Yeah. And it should lead you to this attitude of – almost like non-self-righteous or it, it should make us the the way the commentary were less smug mm-hmm. you know and, and you get, you go back to the the attitude of the guy who thinks he's all that and you know he's kind of got this attitude about him of like you guys need me I don't need you and humility doesn't say that humility says man how can I help mm-hmm. what can I do what can I contribute and that's you know that's that that humble attitude that salvation should produce in all of us. Yeah. And and it and it's supposed to produce in all of us. And and uh, you know as a as a challenge if it hasn't produced that in you then you know go back to scripture, study scripture and find out what is the attitude that a Christian should have in a lot of situations because if you're the guy that always has to be the right one and you have to prove everybody else wrong and you have to be the one on top and you have to show you're the smartest guy in the room every single time you have a conversation, then you're not imitating 
the attitudes that Christ imitated. You're not imitating the attitudes that Paul imitated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when when we have that type of attitude that is smug and self righteous, number one, people don't want to be around us. But it's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing to represent Christ. When we have the proper mature attitudes, then what we do is we recognize the grace that's in our life, and it enables us and it shows us that we can see the grace in other people's lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, when when we are humble, that is that is what we are to be portraying because that is what Christ portrayed. Yeah. You know, go back to the beginning of chapter two. Christ's humility, Christ's humiliation is what we're to be imitating. And when we do that, it's going to make us pursue Christ. Yeah. Which is point number two. Oh, that's a good point too. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're pursuing Christ, and and if you're, yeah, I would say that it's very difficult, if not impossible, to pursue Jesus if you are not a humble person. I would agree with that statement. If you're if you're not, like, it's very difficult to truly pursue Him if you're not a humble, mm-hmm. non. What's the opposite of smug? I don't know. Not whatever. smug. <laughs> Non-smug, unsmug, whatever the opposite. Unsmug. Whatever the opposite of smug is. No, but if you're not a humble person, it's very difficult to pursue Jesus because you think you've got it all figured out. You think you've got That's right. You think you've got all your ducks in a row and that's that's not the case at all. Um no. so when we're pursuing Christ um in verses 12 through 14 here, um Paul uses this imagery of running a race to win a prize. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 14, I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Um, this, this language here is pretty common in the new Testament. This idea of running a race, um, first Corinthians nine, Hebrews 12. Um, and it's not, I want to be really hard not to use a cliche here. Um, (laughs) Because, but but it is, I mean, it's not, but it is. So you know the you know the phrase like it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah. Like, as a believer, it's about both. Yes. You know, it's about the destination, which is a um face to face relationship with Jesus once you're glorified. Mm-hmm. But your journey of sanctification is also just as important as the destination. Yes, and and part of the growth in grace is rem- is remembering your past, like like Paul remembers who he was before he was Paul, um, but it's not as a way of like a woe is me or mm-hmm. like look where like I used to be like that guy over there, like but but it, you know use that as a way to glorify God, um, but it's not a. It's not a mindset where you're stuck in the past. You just yeah. remember it as an opportunity to glorify God and where he's brought you and who he's made you to be now. Yeah. There is a big difference in remembering the past and dwelling in the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what Paul is talking about here when he says, forgetting what lies behind us, yes, we do forget it because in, in an aspect, it's not who we are now. And so, but 
we also don't forget it because we can then turn around and tell that story. This is who I was and this is who I am. And, you know, Paul, Paul even does this at times when he's, when he's preaching, depending on who he's preaching to, but he mm-hmm. says, you know, I was once one of you. I was like you. I was this. I was that. He talks about things in his past. So I don't think it's, it's fair to say that Paul just completely forgot, you know, who, that he was a murderer of Christians before he had his encounter on the Damascus road, mm-hmm. because I think the, the story of Acts and, and even Paul's writings tell us completely the opposite of that. Yeah. But what Paul doesn't do is, is say, man, I'll never be good enough because I once murdered Christians. I'll never be the best because I used to be a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's he doesn't not, he's Eeyore, not Eeyore Yeah, I was about to say. Um, <laughs> but you're right. And, and I wonder, too, like, so we know Paul is pursuing Jesus, and we mm-hmm. know that he, you know, we read in Scripture that he's encountered him on, in, on the road to Damascus and is blinded and blind for, you know, g- goes into town and what has the whole thing. We all know the story of Paul. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder how many Christians or other believers of Jesus were like, are we sure we want him sitting in here? Well, there was that guy. Let me let me make sure I get his name right. Annas, Annas, um, Ananias. Ananias. Oh, I can't. No, that's Not. the guy whose wife died. Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, um, I don't get that. It's, it's in right. it's in Acts chapter nine. Basically, is it basically um, that 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 situation I just described? Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh you know Paul has his conversion on the Damascus Road. Um, no, it is Ananias. Okay. Maybe it's a different Ananias because I don't think it's the same one from, from Ananias and Sapphira. But um, he basically, God has to appear to this guy, Ananias, and he's like, hey, look, so there's this guy, Saul, and he's going to come to you. And, and um, I mean, an, immediately Ananias is like, yeah, this is a terrible idea, God, because mm-hmm. I know Saul and he kills people like me. Yeah. And, you know, basically he, he explains, he's like, nope. Uh, he had an encounter with me, and it's all going to be different now. And and so, yes, I mean, Paul's past definitely affected a lot of people. Yeah, Paul, Paul's past uh, preceded him, and yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think that's true of us. And it's like you said earlier, we can judge a book by this cover, but we will never know the what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. Um. We may know everything about a person's past, or we may know that so and so came from pick whatever lifestyle you want to put in that blank there. Yeah. Um, but only God knows what's really going on in their heart and the work that He's doing there. So, who I mean, I guess who are we to judge if God is radically transforming someone who came from a Whatever lifestyle you want to yeah. say there. Pick, pick your lifestyle. P- pick the thing and, you don't agree with. <laughs> yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. So, but, I mean, so Paul's focusing on the future. He's focusing on what lies ahead. Mm-hmm. And and this really emphasizes this idea of Christian perseverance. And, you, you know, tie that back to Hebrews 12, which you mentioned earlier. You know, run the race that is set before you uh, because Christ, your author, the author and perfecter of your faith. Mm-hmm. Um and and I, they talked about this in the commentary. They talked about running, and and I don't know which one of them wrote this. It was if it was Tony or Francis, but they said, you know, a good runner knows 
not to look behind you. And I'm like, oh, I don't run, so I don't know that. No. <laughs> As someone who has run, like even on a treadmill, you've got to keep your, like you've got to be looking forward or at least down yeah. at your feet or something. But you you, you got to be look. You can't be looking like to the left or the right because you'll veer off and yeah, bust your butt and look a fool. <laughs> but it's like when I read that section, it reminded me. Do you remember that meme that came out a couple of years ago? I guess it was twenty six. It may have been twenty sixteen. Whenever the Olympics were, and this that video, Michael Phelps is winning, or the picture of Michael Phelps is winning, and the other guys like looking over at Michael Phelps, mm-hmm. and it says, um, "Winners focus on winning, losers focus on winners," and like that all like that's what that reminds me of right yep. there is is. You you're keeping your goal and your focus on Christ, and nothing is going to dissuade you from that. And your race is you're running. You're running to catch Christ. Yeah. And if you're worried about what Jim Bob is doing and John is doing and Sally are doing over here with their race, you're not focusing on Christ. You're focusing on Jim Bob, John, and Sally. Yeah. And so, mm. you know, and and that, if we're running the life, we yeah. should be focusing on Christ. Yeah. Exactly. And then what you're saying there really kind of speaks into what we're seeing a lot right now that's rampant on social media or in mm-hmm. celebrity culture or whatever. And that's this idea of cancel culture. You know, mm-hmm. everyone is, you know, digging back through thousands and thousands and thousands of tweets or posts looking for that one little like thing that could be taken way out of context to <laughs> use to just destroy somebody's reputation yeah. or, or try to get them canceled for something they tweeted when they were in middle school. I don't know how many times, you know, an athlete or an actor gets something pulled up from when they were 14, 15 years old. Yeah. It's like, oh, see, this person was a racist when they were 14 or 15. And once yeah. a racist, always a racist. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. Yeah. Like, they were 14 or 15. So, and it always, it always tends to come out when they're gaining some type of prominence for being successful at yes, something. Yes, yeah. I, re- I remember, you know. um, gosh, I don't remember how many years ago it's been, but there was a Braves pitcher who had like one fantastic start. Like he he pitched like a nine inning complete game, two hit shutout or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then like before before the game was even really over, some reporter had gone back through all of his tweets and found something where he'd used the N word or something. Yeah, and it's like. You don't have anything better to do than dig through this guy's history from when he was 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't con- I don't condone the use of the word. Condemn? Condone? I don't condone the use condone. of that word. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can't get the two straight. I don't condone <laughs> the use of that word. But I also feel like that person needs to find literally anything else to do. Yeah. And this whole, like being the first to break like a cancel culture thing is is the goal for a lot of these people and yeah. it's just like it's just it baffles me. Yeah. We have a whole episode on cancel culture. I can't remember which one it is, but we did it at one point in time. So go back and listen to it. Um but in in the same vein, we can't focus on our on our failures of the past, but we also don't want to dwell in our successes of the past. Right. Um you know, and and a lot <laughs> I love this example because it's it's one of my favorite movies. Where they talked about Uncle Rico mm-hmm. uh, from the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Oh my gosh, I love you know. I could throw that ball clear over the mountains. 
one of my favorite lines of the movie. I can throw a picture in a quarter mile. Um, but you know what? What he's saying here is we can't. You know, we can't say that just because this worked last time that it's going to work this time. And just because we did it this way doesn't mean we have to keep doing it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do it that way too. It's fine. And when we focus on doing something a specific way, we we end up boxing ourselves into what we talked about and, and really hammered on hard last week is legalism. You know, you have to do it this way. This is the prescribed method. This is the way that it has to be done. And if you don't follow X, Y, and Z rules, then you're not, you know, you're not doing it right. And you're not being a Christian. And 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 we put all of these extra things upon being a Christian and being sanctified that are not necessarily there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so part of pursuing Christ is not dwelling on the bad part of your past and also not dwelling on the good part of your past, but also not forgetting your past, remembering your past and remembering where you came from, but really and truly focusing on the future and keeping your eyes focused on Christ, keeping that laser sharp focus on the gospel that we've been talking about since the beginning of this Philippian study. Yeah. And and that is what the pursuit of Christ is. And if we're going to pursue Christ, then we are going to stay focused on the gospel, which is point number three. Yes, we made it all the way to point three. We're rolling through this. Um, so yeah, but verses 14 through 16... I mean, Paul's really hammering home this whole thing that that uh, Anthony was just talking about, um, being laser focused on the gospel. I mean, yeah. he he has mentioned it all throughout the letter to to stay in Christ, to live in Christ, to preach Christ, to, to mm-hmm. um, make sure you're doing the things of Christ. Um, and, and when he writes to Philippi that he is pressing for the prize which is our call in Christ Jesus, he is highlighting the call of the gospel when he says the call of Christ. Yeah. Um, here starts this a couple of verses earlier in verse 12 when he says that Christ Jesus has made me his own. Mm-hmm. And then he doubles down on the negative of that saying, I don't consider that I have made it my own. Yeah. And, I mean, that really speaks to the idea of Jesus calling Paul out and Jesus yeah. being the one to initiate the the uh, realization of the need for him mm-hmm. and and I don't I don't think that's a decision Paul would have made if Jesus Hatton had initiated that. No, I mean if you go back and read Acts chapter nine, it actually starts off while Paul was actually Saul while Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Mm-hmm. You know. He's literally on his way to kill Christians, and Jesus says, nope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, literally drops a bomb in the middle middle of the Damascus Road and is like, yeah, you're not going to do that. Yeah. But, I mean, this isn't the first time Paul's done this, though. In, in Colossians, he, he writes, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we would find throughout a lot of Paul's letters that his main focus would be on the gospel. Yeah. Most, I mean, not e- all of them. Yeah, even, I mean, just remember back to uh, two verse eight. You know, we should never lose sight. And I mean, the gospel is founded on the cross, and two verse eight gives us the the pinnacle of that, mm-hmm. which is you know that that Christ humiliated Himself even to death, death on a cross. And so, the the idea of staying laser focused on the gospel means that you're staying laser focused on the cross. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, that should be 
you know, that should be our, our focus. That should be what we represent when we go out. That's why Christians wear crosses around their necks. You know, why would you wear an ancient medieval or an ancient torture thing mm-hmm. around your neck if you're not going to talk about it and talk about the effect that the cross can have in your life? Yeah. Uh, one of the quotes from the commentary that we use uh, says that uh, Christians are those who have responded in repentance and faith to the call of the gospel. God called us by grace. We heard the gospel as a gift of grace. We are sustained by grace. And for all eternity, we will sing the praises of the God of all grace. And I really think that points to um, the idea that it's Jesus's grace that sustains us. And it should be mm-hmm. the, I mean, like you were just talking about, if it's, if the gospel of the cross, if, if Jesus's grace is in the forefront of your mind day in and day out, like that should be a gut check to yeah. to your walk with him. Um, and there will be seasons where it's more prominent in, than others. And I mean, I'm sure Anthony could, could say this too, but I know in my life I've gone through times where the cross has not been the, the focal point of my day in and day out mm-hmm. life. And so, I mean, I'm, we're not sitting here saying we've got this figured out and y'all need to do it like we do. Like we <laughs> we're still flesh, you know, we're still two guys bound by our flesh. And, um, it, it, these are things that we're, as we discuss them, we're working on them ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, part of the Christian walk is growing in maturity and recognizing grace in your life. And, uh, and, as I've as I've walked the Christian life now, um, I, I was you know I was raised in a Christian home, so you could say the better part of the majority of my life. But I can I can distinctly tell you there are times when I knew a season matured me. When I looked back at it, I could see that that season that time matured me. Yeah, and um, when you have a focus on the cross, you're going to be defined by a growing in maturity and a growing in your your Christian walk, and this is this this parallel is exactly what we talked about at the beginning of our discussion tonight. Is focusing on the gospel is going to lead to you realizing things about yourself that need to change. That change is going to lead to maturity. You know, the the same way that you grow up and you learn how to walk, and then you learn how to talk, and then you learn how to uh, reason and and you know you learn how to have conversations and you, you you learn all these things growing up into being an adult and even as an adult we should never stop learning we should yeah. always continue to strive to be better that's what the Christian life is and the more you see the grace of God in your life growing up and and you know as, as an adult I look back at my life and say man I can see a lot of good things in my life that prepared me for who I am today yeah in your Christian walk, you're going to look back and you say, man, I see a lot of things that God used as grace in my life to prepare me for who I am today as a Christian. Yeah. And, and that parallel is, is important, and it's key to us sharing our story with each other to help other believers grow in their maturity. Yeah. You know, which, mm-hmm. is, which is what we're going to talk about in just a minute when we talk about imitation and and picking cross-minded examples to basically imitate 
in our Christian walk, everything should build upon itself. And like mm-hmm. your experiences today should prepare you for your experiences tomorrow, which prepare you for your experiences the day after in a That's week, right. in a month, and in a, ten years from now, like everything we experience as believers should be preparing us for something down the road. Um, yeah. And we can look back on, like you were talking about, look back on seasons where we experienced exponential growth, where we were going through something or we um, had a, had spiritual triumphs or spiritual tragedies or, or whatever. And, um, but you're right. God uses all of those things to make us into the people we become eventually mm-hmm. so that we are best equipped and most ready to glorify him and to have the gospel on our tongues and be able to tell our story yeah. like you were saying. Yeah. And you know, that, that type of maturity is something that our culture kind of gravitates to in a lot of ways. I, I would definitely not put this in the realm of politics because I would not define the vast majority of our politicians as mature. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you talk about business leaders and and leaders who have positively affected our lives, you know, you, you always end up with somebody, the majority of the time, I'm not going to say all the time, but the majority of the time, you have somebody who is, they don't talk a lot, but when they talk, you listen. Because you know when they say something, what they say is going to be important. Mm-hmm. And, and you have those types of people in your life, and... What it shows us as believers is that maturity, and and th- this is something that I hold to, um, as, as you know, even at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about me running my mouth too much and getting myself in trouble. But maturity is knowing is about knowing when to keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, yeah, um, you know, sometimes, I, and 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 like I said, maybe that's a, a flaw or a characteristic that I need to develop and I need to work on, but. Sometimes maturity just says, you know what? I don't have to respond to everything that somebody says to me. And, you know, I think about conversations that I'm having with my daughter right now. And I'm telling her things like, you don't have to say everything that comes into your mind. You don't have to blurt it out in word form. You Mm -hmm. can think it, you can process it, and you can do away with it. And that's fine. Um, You know, because she there's just certain things she's she's trying to learn and she's trying to navigate and she's getting better at it um sometimes i just have to look at her and go silence yeah you need to stop talking for about 10 minutes yeah (laughs) yeah and and i think we all learn or we all have those times when there's definitely things where we know we think them maybe Mm -hmm. they're maybe they're relevant maybe they're not but it's best to keep them to ourselves and it's best to yeah. internally process them. I do think we need to be careful though, to just bottle that stuff up. Oh yeah. Like, because if you, if you end up just bottling it up, you're going to explode and explode at the wrong people. Um, yeah. And so there there's, and, but that comes with maturity that comes with knowing like, who can I say what I need to say to Yeah. without fear of repercussion, without fear yeah. of, uh, condemnation even you know so as we mature we we learn when to keep our mouth shuts when yeah when to keep our mouths shut and 
who to open our mouths to yeah. regarding whatever situation we're dealing yeah. with. I, I would argue that the single greatest thing that has contributed to the downfall of this idea of keeping your mouth shut is Twitter. Mm. Um, you know, you've given people a platform to post 280 characters. It used to be 140, but basically they can say some kind of hot take off the top of their head and then a billion other people can retweet it. And it's it's just not a good platform for stuff like that to happen. Yeah. And it has led to a dematuring of our society, I would argue. You uh, know, and, and it's and, really I mean, it's really just led to the continue uh, continued division of our society. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you you very immature people on both sides of the aisle who yeah. just blurt out whatever they, you know, mm-hmm. post their little two hundred and eighty character blurb on there and <laughs> think they've made a difference in the world when all they've done is managed to create more division. So yeah, that's not mature yeah. at all. And I wish we were better, but alas, this is where we are. So we're, we're growing in maturity. And when we grow in maturity, that leads us to this, this thing that we have been talking about for the better part of two to three weeks now, which is imitation. Yeah. Um, Christ is our ultimate person that we're to imitate. But through that and down down the line, Paul even issues the call and he says, you know, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand as believers that we need to have heroes of the faith. We need to have people that we look up to, mm-hmm. mentors, disciplers. And then, you know, we've talked about this in the past. We also need to be discipling. We need yeah. to be the the people that somebody looks up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the Christian walk, and that's part of the Christian maturity, because when you're challenged from both sides, when you're challenged by your mentors and you're challenging the people you're mentoring and they're challenging you back, that's where growth happens. And, yeah. and when you have that that growth relationship in, in every aspect, you're going to become a mature believer in Christ. It's it's just going to be the natural outflow. So when Paul is pointing out, like Paul, pointing out these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's basically saying that um, he's, I mean, Paul's, Paul's saying to the church, I'm following Jesus. You as the church should be following me as I follow Jesus but also mm-hmm. be looking for other people who are following Jesus. Look for your Timothys. Look for your Epaphrodituses. Yeah. Um, and and follow them and be willing to go where they go. Yeah. And part of picking those people out is also being aware of the people who you should not follow in the church. Hey, now. <laughs> and there were people, and, and it's it's important to note the people that Paul is talking about here are not the same as the people that he's talking about in chapter one, where he's saying they're preaching Christ. They're doing it out of the wrong reasons, but they're still preaching Christ. They're still preaching the right message Mm -hmm. here. He's saying that these people are not, I mean, pick it up in verse, uh, I think it's 19 end of, end of verse 18 or for I have often told you, and now say this again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Mm. Their God is their belly. You know, they're, they, 
live for their shame, basically. Yeah. And, you know, we need to be able to recognize those people as well. And how do we recognize those people? That's that's a hard task to say, you know, because people are really good. I don't know if y'all realize this, but people are really good at putting on facades in church. What? If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, put a camera in somebody's car as they're driving to church and then watch what happens when they get out at church. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean... But we, I mean, we've already talked about it a couple of times tonight. Like, you can't judge. It's hard to judge a book by its cover. Yeah. But that's all we have to go on as believers. Yeah. And so, but if someone's really good at taking the cover jacket off their book and putting a different one on, mm-hmm. that's really hard, man. And that, I mean, that really, you have to have discernment and you have to have wisdom and you have to. Yeah, have maturity way beyond probably what you're prepared for. When you come into a appointment, when you come into a moment where you're like, I don't know if this person is someone we need to be following. It, yeah. It's hard, dude. I, I it is, and I mean, a lot of times, sadly, uh, a lot of times you don't realize something like that until you're already into a relationship or. Um, a process and and then it makes it even harder because you you know you get to know this person and then you're like hey man let's you know let's meet let's have bible study and you get to know them and and you're starting to learn you're like bro this guy believes some really really crazy stuff Mm -hmm. you know and 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 he's he's advocating for this weird things that, that are not really in the bible and I'm not sure where he's drawing them from, and they don't line up with Scripture. That's the, I mean, that that to me is the key. As you're growing, whoever it is that you're following should be growing as well. Yeah. And if you're learning, and the more you learn, the more you're going, that doesn't line up. That's a red flag. You know, that's the that's the type of stuff that you should be looking for. And that's, I mean, that's what maturity produces. So what's and our... As, Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I, I say as we're as we mature, we're going to be able to recognize, or we should be able to be able to recognize people who are enemies of the cross and people who are not enemies of the cross. Okay, so what should our response be in those instances when you know we've built relationships with somebody, we are doing Bible study or you know whatever it is, and we realize that they're enemies of the cross like you were just saying mm-hmm. like what should our response be when um, when that inevitably happens how do when we that inevitably it? happens uh you know i think you you have to take a an approach very similar to like a matthew 18 where you say hey man we're we're studying this and what you believe doesn't match up to what scripture says you know um, and what I'm not talking about here is secondary and tertiary issues. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're talking about the second coming of Christ in the millennium, you don't have to agree. And somebody can believe something different than you do, and that's fine. But when we're talking about the gospel, people saying things like, yeah, I don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's a red flag. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and I, you know, that's a very obvious red flag. But you, 
when you listen to people and when you hear them talk, they're either going to be using words that point people to Christ or they're not going to be using words that point people to Christ. And, you know, we talked about deconstruction, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And and I said, and I stand by it, that when you listen to people's deconstruction story, what you end up hearing, even in the sadness of their story, is that everything is about them. Everything is about what they got out of their theology, what they were trying to get from the Bible, what the Bible was supposed to say to them, and it didn't do it, and what God was supposed to do, and he didn't do it to them. And that ended up leaving them in a place where they could not believe because God had failed them. And, you know, I, I think that's that's kind of the the words that you're looking for. And the way to handle it is, is man, I, I'm hearing the words that are coming out of your mouth, and I believe you're focusing on the wrong thing. I believe you're idolizing this thing, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And... When you when you point that out to them, they're either going to and and remember the goal of Matthew eighteen um, is to restore and repentance, restoration and repentance, and that should be our goal when we confront either the person who mentors us or the person we're mentoring, right? And and so the goal is restoration. The goal is always repentance, and if it's not, then maybe we need to be the ones checking our hearts first and saying, am I doing this in the right spirit? Am I being the mature one? Um, and am I the one pointing back to the cross of Christ in this situation? So that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that answers the whole question or not, but I think at the end of the day, you have to point back to the gospel and point back to the cross of Christ and say, this doesn't match up. Can you help me understand this? Yeah. And I think to... It's, it just comes down to an we have to be wise in those instances and yeah. we have to we have to use our god-given discernment to determine what needs to be said if anything needs to be said yeah and that sort of thing so i'm with you yes i hear you yep so so let's wrap this thing up so paul's going to close it out and he's going to talk about our citizenship mm. and this this discussion right here really hits home especially in what's happening in the world today yeah um because paul remember he's writing to philippi and philippi was like this little version of rome they had the same preferences they had the same prominence as rome did and being a a citizen of philippi brought some natural advantages Mm -hmm. um and so Paul reminds them in verse 20 and 21, he says, hey, don't forget, basically, you're a citizen of heaven first, and you're a citizen of Philippi second. And so your heavenly citizenship should always trump your earthly citizenship. Right. And when we focus on our heavenly citizenship, it should give us a different perspective about our earthly citizenship. Yeah. Not that we're being anti-patriotic or anything like that. That's that's not what I'm advocating for here. It's it's perfectly fine to be a proud patriot of your country. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But when your country becomes the number one thing and your Christianity becomes the number two thing, then we've got an issue. Right. Because you're idolizing your country over your God. Yeah. 
and I mean, this is really kind of timely given what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say it. Do it. Christian nationalism is a thing that needs to be completely dismantled and completely eradicated from our churches. I agree. Because in in an American church, we have the tendency to say that we are American Christians or I'm an American and I'm a Christian. Yeah. Like, if you are a Christian, your other labels hold no weight. Your, yeah. o- your other labels, you may, they're still true. You're still like, I'm still an American. Anthony's still an American, mm-hmm. but that should never be what we lead with as Christ followers. No. Um, And and I know I've I've probably said this on on the podcast a handful of times now, but if your country ceased to exist today or tomorrow or in a week or whatever, would your walk with Jesus change at all? Are you mature in your walk enough to say, you know what, regardless of who my president is or regardless of if we're you know, invaded by whatever country, if we were overtaken, if our country no longer exists, is my, is my walk going to change any? Yeah. Or am I a Christian here because it's easy here? Yeah. Or do I say I'm a Christian here because I'm easy here, but when it gets hard, I'm going to just, no, that's not for me. I'll, I'll just go with whatever. Yeah. Um, being a believer in Jesus should always trump our, your nationality. Yes. Every single time. Yep. And it's you know, let let's do a let's do a real quick thought experiment here. Let's flip the script and say that Russia, instead of invading Ukraine to the west of them, they decided they were gonna attack Alaska to the east. And they invaded Alaska and said, We're taking over Alaska. Alaska now belongs to Russia. Does does that change? And and then they decided, you know, we're just we're not going to stop at Alaska. We're going to go down through Canada. We're going to come into the United States. And they come in and and they force millions and millions and millions of Americans to flee their country. Um, you know, we flee to Mexico and we flee to wherever it is. And. How would we feel? How would we want to be received in these countries that we're now being forced to? Not of our, not of a decision that we made, but a decision that somebody else made for us. Mm-hmm. How would we want to be received? Remember that when you hear stories of Ukrainians who are fleeing their country because they don't know where else to go. And their house just got blown up by a Russian missile. Yeah. You know? The news has been pretty clear that 
Russia doesn't really care about the rules. Mm-hmm. They're breaking all the rules. That's what happens in time of war. Yeah. It really puts like into perspective that whole idea of like keeping everyone out. You know, mm-hmm. like if like if in that scenario, if a country had no way for people to get in, where would you go? Yeah. So is. And I'm not saying just like I'm not saying open the borders and let any and everyone in like there should be rules. And I believe that. But it, I don't I don't know, man. It it becomes a whole lot harder to stand up for your easily shouted pithy comments about stay in your own country when somebody's country is literally under attack from a neighboring country mm-hmm. and they're literally destroying the country. Yeah. One bomb at a time. Yeah. And, you know, it's as Americans, we we have enjoyed uh, a brand of isolation that a lot of people have not been accustomed to because, you know, we're huge and you can't really get to us from without us already, you know, basically knowing about it. There's no land masses that are attached to us. We don't have a border like Ukraine does with Russia. Right. You know, if... If Canada decided to attack us tomorrow, then that would be about the worst of our experiences. And, you know, we could probably crush Canada pretty quick. Or if Mexico decided to attack us tomorrow, guess what? We know where Mexico is coming in and we have a whole bunch of cowboys in Texas and they'll take care of that for us. No big deal. But we're not a smaller country with a much larger bully of a big brother like Ukraine and Russia is. Right. And and so we need to recognize that we have the opportunity to do what the Bible calls us to do, which is care for the orphan and the widow. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of orphans and a lot of widows yeah. that could possibly make it to American shores in the near future. Yeah. And as Christians, how are we going to respond to those those people? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think our our responsibility is to uh, welcome them and show them the love of Jesus. Yeah. Show them who Jesus is and show them his goodness in spite of the circumstances that they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Man, and and when we do that, we are do we are remembering our true citizenship. Yeah. Which is what Paul is talking about here. Yeah. So. It's it's a tough conversation. It's a hard conversation. But I think it's one that Christians need to be aware of and we need to be prepared for. Yeah. So. I agree. Well, Anthony, why don't you pray for us tonight? And um, I will. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Let's do this. Let's pray. Go. God, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for this passage that you brought to us uh, to discuss 
and and uh, the timeliness, uh, God, in your providence, and that you you saw it needed to be discussed. And and God, I pray that our conversation is uplifting. And I pray that our conversation is encouraging, and I pray that our conversation is uh, challenging to to Christians around. Uh, whoever listens to this around America, around the world, wherever they are. And God, I pray that we would seek to be people who are humble. God, that we would seek to be people who pursue Christ with, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our mights. And God, that we would stay focused. We would, we would be laser focused on the gospel. And God, that we would choose examples who are worthy of imitation. God, that you would give us wisdom, you would give us uh, discernment to be able to understand what your scripture teaches and how we can continue to example your word to the world around us in all of our relationships, God. And most of all, God, I pray that you would help us as, as Christians and as believers to remember that we are not of this world. We're visitors here, we're aliens, and we are sojourners. And God, that our citizenship lies in the heavenlies and that we should strive to seek the kingdom of God first. And God, that we should strive to live out your glory on this earth to the people who are around us, whoever you've brought us in contact with, that we could represent Christ to that person well. And and God... As our discussion has led us tonight, I want to pray specifically for the people of Ukraine who are going through an unbearable time right now. There are Christians in Ukraine. There are non-believers in Ukraine. There are uh, just a, a vast of people, God, that need to know you and to need to know your goodness. And so, God, in everything that is that is terrible and that is happening right now, I pray that above all, that your glory would be manifested in what's happening. And God, I pray for Christians that you would give them an extra measure of strength, God, an extra measure of courage to stand for you, to stand for the gospel, to, to keep their focus on Christ, uh, even in the midst of perilous times and perilous dangers and uh, an enemy knocking on your door and you don't know what's going to happen next. God, I pray that you would give them strength and comfort and peace and let them know that you are the God who is the author and the perfecter of their faith. You began their salvation and you will finish their salvation. And God, I pray that they would stand firm in that and they would know that that is your truth. And God, I pray for people who are not believers in Ukraine. And God, I pray that they would see the example of Christians around them uh, beside them, God, and they would look to them and go, what is different about this person? Why do they have such hope in the midst of all of this struggle? And God, that you would use this, this terrible event as an opportunity to spread the gospel for your name and for your glory and for your renown. And God, I pray specifically for the people of Russia right now. There are people who agree and don't agree with what is happening. And God, I pray that you would give the people who are standing up uh, for justice and for uh, equity, God, I pray that you would give them the strength to stand up in the face of tyranny and that they would stand up in the face of, of what they know is a moral wrong and they would say, no, this cannot go on any further. And God, I pray that you would break down this, this injustice that is happening right now. 
And God, I pray that you would uh, bring resolution to it and you would bring uh, finality to it, God. And I pray that you would do it for yourself and for your glory and for your name. God, we want to see you be glorified. And so I pray that you would use this situation, you would turn this situation uh, into something that glorifies you. We can't see it and we can't understand it because we're finite creatures and we don't know everything. But God, we're asking you and we're pleading for you to intervene and we're pleading for you to do justice in your name. And so God, we humbly ask all of this and we plead for all of this in the name that is above every name, that at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. I think to wrap up our discussion tonight, it would be appropriate to just end with a blessing over our listeners. And really, this is for um, everyone. Uh, And so this is from Numbers chapter 6, and this is the blessing that Aaron gave to the people of Israel. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And you know, the church that I serve at, uh, we would respond as a congregation, we would just respond to you also. And so I pray that that would be uh, the blessing on your life this week uh, as you continue to lift up and pray for the Ukrainian people and also the Russian people. Amen and amen. And so with that, we want to just say we hope that your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open, and we will see you later. Peace out.